Our scripture reading this morning is found in Esther chapter 3. Let's turn there in our Bibles. And when you get there, let's all stand together. Esther chapter 3. Let us stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Esther chapter 3. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Amadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. and They do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Amadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, month which is the month Adar, and to plunder their goods." A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. 
The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. May God give us understanding in this portion of his word that we read and be preaching through this morning. This week, as a country, we celebrate our 243rd birthday. What does that mean to us? What is the significance and why should we, as a church or as a group of believers, recognize and celebrate this day with joy and gladness? I don't know what you did on the 4th. I know in my neighborhood there was firecrackers going off, the smell of barbecue in every other backyard, and just people enjoying a day off. But I wonder how many really know what the firecrackers symbolize. How many put flags out with knowledge of what it really means? How many have the day off and think about the birthday of 243 years that this nation has existed as a nation and what even Independence Day means. It means that as a nation, we became or declared ourselves independent from the ruling authority of Britain and said, we will govern ourselves as we see right under the Lord. And since then, this nation has done that. And in doing so, I'm not ashamed to say, has become the greatest nation in the world in its existence and probably the greatest nation on earth in its history. Why do we say greatest nation? because of the freedoms that have been granted its citizens, citizens have achieved more than any other nation has achieved in whatever area you want to measure it, economically, even talent-wise and resource-wise. In short, God has blessed this nation and we need to know the reason why. This nation has been founded on principles that agree with God's founding principles that we should be free to worship and trust him as his word declares and not hindered by our government from doing that. It is the freest and greatest nation in the world. And God's intention in that is that the gospel will go out from those who trust in Christ throughout the whole world. Now, this isn't the only nation where the gospel goes out. I don't want to give that uh, uh, idea. The gospel is going out all over the world and through many places. But God has granted us the freedom to preach, to teach, and to live the gospel without being hindered by our government. And so 
over those 243 years, we have used that freedom to take the gospel to the corners of the world. And God is certainly behind that. Not everything about our nation is great or is perfect. I recognize that. There's many things. It is a government of the people by the people, and so people have faults and failures. But again, it is the greatest nation in the world because of the freedoms that we have and the opportunities we have to serve God. We should be patriotic. We should recognize the great blessing of God that he has given us. We should see it as something given to us or granted to us by God, not by man. We know man's role in it, and that's significant. As a nation, it takes resources and great power to sustain the freedom that we have. And those firecrackers that you hear all over represent the wars and the battles that were, that were engaged in so that we might have the freedoms that we have today. We hear them now and we just hear a big boom. But you realize that was someone protecting this nation against threats within and outside. So I praise God for this nation. I hope you recognize and appreciate what God has done and is doing. As a people who were brought here as slaves, it is amazing to me that in God's providence, he took us from a country that was filled with pagan religion and knew nothing of Christ and brought us to a nation, though under slavery, where we could hear the gospel and now through that same gospel, we're freed from slavery and now are free to participate fully in this nation as free people and even more so as people of God who have faith and trust in God. We ought to see God's sovereignty in all of that. Praise God for what he's done in America. God bless America. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to speak your word from this pulpit. We thank you and we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to continue, whether this nation continues those freedoms or not, that we would proclaim your truth from this pulpit, from this ministry, from our lives in power, in boldness, in thankfulness and gratitude for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done to grant us freedom, independence from the ruler of wickedness and sin and destruction and death. Thank you for the victory that you have won, Father, for us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that gospel that we proclaim and preach and I pray that as long as we have breath, that we will live and proclaim that truth. As sweet communion, as the followers of Christ, we'll be faithful to your word and faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
continue in our study through Esther, and I do promise that we'll start picking up a little bit in terms of going through. Uh, we'll do about a chapter uh, each week. We've had some breaks. We've had Mother's Day and Father's Day and a fifth Sunday, so uh, that kind of breaks the continuity a bit. But Esther is a dynamic book, and I hope that you are taking it in. One great way to take it in is simply read the book. Uh, read it through. Um, I'm, I'm timing myself now. It took me about 20 minutes to read straight through. I also noticed that um, if you have, um, if you have a, a, the, uh, the Bible app on your phone, you can turn it to, to, uh, uh, to read to you, right? It'll go right through and it, it reads, um, since it's spoken aloud, it's probably just a little slower than you might read to yourself at that pace, but it's a comfortable pace. And, and you can listen to it as you take a walk or washing dishes or doing some yard work. Uh, so if you take advantage of that, that uh, uh, technology that we have. Just get a, a Bible app, turn it to Esther, and you can turn it on, put your earplugs on, and you can hear it right through. So as I mentioned, uh, um, Average reader, I think 20, 25 minutes, you can read through all 10 chapters of Esther. And it is such a moving story that um, you, uh, you, know, you won't fall asleep listening <laughs> to it. Uh, you, you won't be bored. Now, I will encourage you this. Sometimes we think that we've read through it and, and okay, I read it once. Come on. I, I, I don't know how many times I've seen Rocky, one, two, three, and four, Terminator, one, two, three, and, uh, you know, they have all the, you don't just watch those movies once. They, they, they got uh, uh, Lion King coming out again, and Toy Story, one, two, three. So you, you know, you watch those movies over and over again, and, and then you, you see your favorite part, and you, you see something else, and something else kind of steps, steps out or stands out to you. The Word of God should not be put uh, uh, aside. Don't be afraid to read it more than once. <laughs> Try to read it once a day, actually. Uh, but, but read it and read it often and, and read right through it. Those of you who are teaching, um, take advantage. Read through your, your text. If you're teaching through a book, read through that book. And, and uh, what I like to do is read it without notes, without taking any notes. Just, just read. It takes a lot of discipline not to pause and say, oh, I want to write that down. But just read through it and then take some time to, to go ahead and read smaller sections and then take notes and, and uh, you, will, you will gleam a lot from God's word that way. Just about everybody who's a part of our, our services, a few exceptions with some of our young people, um, but most of us are old enough and read well enough to read through the word of God and we should be doing that on a regular basis, even if you read through it once before. Hey, it is God's word, and his Holy Spirit will speak to you as you take in his word. So, Esther chapter 3, it starts with this. Now, after these things, King Ahasuerus did something. After what things? Well, the things in chapter 1, the thing in chapter 1, we saw the big celebration, and we saw uh, Vashti, who was queen, uh, uh, put out of her position because she refused to, to give in to the king's request. A big, big mess was started. She was, she was put out in, in, as queen. Chapter 2, we saw the process. We call that the, the human process. Uh, um, and we see all those processes in, a, in, our, in our world today, whether on our jobs or in, in education system or 
any system we have, we have a human process, and we often wonder, what does God say about this? Can he act? Can he work within this process? Is he limited by that process? Um, you know, I have to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, and can I, I have to seem like I have to jump through hoops to do all this stuff. How is God working in, in all of that? Well, he is, and uh, he, he's telling you, first of all, God doesn't condemn or condone the process, but he simply works through it and in it, around it, or discard it if he wants to. God is God that can do as he pleases. Uh, and he has some processes set up for us that we need to follow. Uh, government is one of those things. He's set to rule over us. So those things, those people who have rule over us, we need to obey their policies and their rules. We'll get to, to chapter 3 here. We'll see there's a policy that, that uh, Mordecai does not follow. He does not obey. We'll talk a little bit about that. So let's go on. So after these things means... Um, Vashti was taken away as queen, chapter 2. Esther was replaced as queen. That was some four and a half years later or so. Uh, that finally, she qualified, was chosen, selected, and she became queen. So now in chapter 3, after these things, what happened? We're introduced to a main character of Esther. Now, I wish I had the talent to do it. I can't really do it. Uh, maybe uh, Chantel can do it. One of our musicians can do it. We need some theme music for this character that's about to be introduced. Listen to him. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Dun, dun, dun. All right. The Agagite, the son of Amath. Amadatha and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. There should be a evil theme music with Haman. You get that? In fact, I see it in the Word of God. There is a theme that goes along with Haman that lets us know who he is. You know, when you watch a movie, you see a guy, he's, he looks intelligent, he looks, he, he's smart, he's dressed nice, uh, he smiles, people seem to like him, but the theme music tells you something about him. Dun, dun, dun. Watch out. There's something about him. And, and, and Esther tells us something about this person, too. Let's take a look at this. We read through chapter 3 in our reading, and, and we know that, first of all, Haman is promoted, and all the, all the government officials are commanded to pay him homage, right? To bow down to him. But Mordecai doesn't do that. One thing we notice about Haman is his reaction to Mordecai. Look at verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was, Haman, dun, 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 was filled with fury. It didn't say he was a little bit disturbed. It says he was filled. What does fill mean? Right? When I take my cup, I have a refill cup that I take to Speedway. Uh, 
me, me and Heidi have, have those jokes. Where's Heidi? She has, she's out with the kids. She can hear us in the nursery. I'm talking about you, Heidi. You go there so often that you get this mug, okay? It's, it's, well, it's 32 ounces. It's a lot. And every time you go there, you get to refill with your favorite beverage. And, you know, you pay a, a little discount, but every, and I'm advertising for them, every seventh time you get one free. Now, I put a little ice in there, right, because I like my drink cold. And I fill it up. How, how high do you think I fill it up to? Till I can't almost put the cap on. That's what filled means. Ain't no room for nothing else. <laughs> it's full. It is full. It says Haman was what? Filled with what? Fury. <laughs> so that's not a mild suggestion of his emotional state. This man is crazy mad. And why? Why is he filled with fury? Well, you can guess and we can suggest, but the, 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 the text lets us know. Because this certain person won't bow down. It doesn't tell us that it was a whole group of people. It doesn't say that, that, that Mordecai took a sign and protested and walked up and down and said, y'all shouldn't be paying homage. Nobody should do that. He didn't protest. He didn't do nothing. He simply didn't bow down. That's all. He just chose not to bow down. Now, it did attract some attention. But the point I want to make is, first of all, on the end of who is this dun, 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 Haman, right? Who is he? What kind of character is he? First of all, we notice verse 5, he's filled with fury. Verse 6, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Now, you think that's a nice thing. First of all, he said, well, I ain't going to put my hands on him. Now, that's not what it's saying. You know, I ain't going to put my hands on him. What it's saying is, he ain't the only one I'm going to put my hands on. That's what it's saying. He ain't the only one I'm finna put my hands on. I'm finna put my hands on all of them. That's what, that, that's what, dun, dun, dun. That's what Haman is saying. He says, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. The people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of King Ahasuerus. Now go back to chapter 1. You, 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 I'm not believing this, right? Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia. India to Ethiopia. 127 provinces, it says. So Haman says, all 127 of them provinces, and every Jew in every province I hate, and I want to destroy. Why? Because one man wouldn't bow down to him. One man. Let's look more about this Haman. In chapter 3, verse 15, the end of the chapter, we'll get to that, but take a look at it. 
The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. We understand the story, so, so we can kind of fit this in now, is that we know Haman wrote an order to kill all the Jews, and after he wrote that order, what did he do? He sat down with the king, and they, they just had a nice drink. What is that a picture of? What are they saying? This is a casual way of saying, I'm, I'm cool with that. I ain't got no problem with that. Now, I think the king does that out of ignorance. He, he, he shouldn't be that ignorant, but he is. He, he hands the sword over to Haman and lets him do as he pleases and say, okay, man, that's your business. Go on, do what you got to do. Don't mean nothing to me. Because it's impersonal. He doesn't know people. Haman knows personally a person. And after making this edict to kill everyone that breathes, he has a drink, chills out, kicking it with the king. That tells you something about him. That's not by accident that that was given to us. In contrast to how he reacts to this news, we see the whole city of Susa. This is the capital of the kingdom. It says, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but that's a contrast. It's meant to draw our attention and to react strongly to. There's a difference between king and Haman, how they reacted to this and how everybody else reacted. While they're cooling out, chilling out in whatever room they are in the palace, having a nice cold one or comforting or whatever they have, it says, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Thrown is a strong word. Thrown and then into confusion. Uh, you know, I, I ride the freeways quite a bit. I drive a lot. And um, I'm always amazed. I was driving on, on, the, on the 4th of July. We were, we were, no, it was actually the 3rd of July. Headed out. This is the night of the fireworks. And they had closed off a lane uh, coming into downtown. And I said, everybody is trying to get to the lake for the fireworks, trying to get to Summerfest. Why do they close off a whole lane? And I still don't know the reason why. I wish someone would explain that to me. Uh, but, of course, who am I to question? Nobody, nobody cares of what I think about something. But it, 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 it messed up the whole freeway system, all the way from the lake, all the way going back to, 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 to Miller Park Exchange there, and coming both ways, both north and south. On, on 43, you couldn't go east towards the lake, and so everything was getting backed up. They closed up. I say that to say, that's talking about, that's an idea of throwing into confusion, affecting everything and everybody for miles around. The city of Susa was like that. It was a mess. People wondering, what's going on? What's going to happen? While it's a mess, the king and Haman chilling, I, I can picture them smoking a cigar, drinking their favorite alcohol, their adult beverage, whatever they drink. And 
not having a care in the world. That's the picture, not having a care in the world. He just determined to kill literally millions of people. And now he has not a care in the world. That's why every time the name Haman comes up, there should be some music in our mind. Dun, dun, dun. By the way, um, this, this celebration that, that the whole book of Esther talks about, this, this Purim celebration, is celebrated today. This is celebrated now in the Jewish community. In those celebrations each year, it's, it's in that month of our February, March month, and they celebrate that. And um, they read through the entire book of Esther because that's part of the Old Testament canon as well. We see it as the Word of God, and it is, but the Jewish scriptures take the Old Testament only. They don't take the New Testament. They take the Old Testament, but they still got enough of the gospel to get it. <laughs> they just miss it. That's what Satan does. He put blinders on people's minds where they see the Old Testament, but they can't see the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about Christ in Esther as we go through this. But they read through the book of Esther, and they give rattles to the kids, noisemakers, rattles. And they tell them every time the name Haman comes up, they should shake the rattle so nobody can hear the name of Haman. And that's what they do. So as they read through the book of Esther, I'm, I'm doing that theme music, dun-dun-dun. But the kids do, they So whenever it comes and Haman's name is read, so you can't hear it. Why? Because he's an evil dude. He's wicked. Let's see what the rest of the Word of God says about him. Let's keep going. We looked at uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Verse, chapter 5, verse 9. I'm just going to read a few uh, um, phrases that, that help us see the dun-dun-dun, what the Bible does, that theme about Haman. In 5, 5, 9, chapter 5, verse 9, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. He was filled, again, filled with wrath. Not just a little bit, but he was filled. In chapter 5, verse 14, this idea pleased Haman. What idea? His wife and his friends at a party told him, man, if you have a problem with, 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 with Mordecai, why don't you just build some gallows 50 cubits high. You know how high 50 cubits is? 75 feet. Now, I have a three-story house, and I've been up to the top peak in that house, and that's pretty scary, but that was only like 40 feet. 75 feet. Almost twice that height. He had those gallows built. Gallows kind of, what is a gallow? Well, it, it reminds me when I was painting my house, I built, I, I used some scaffolding. You ever see the scaffolding that's built around buildings? Well, use that same kind of scaffolding. You build it in layers and you go up and you go up and you go up. That's kind of the picture of gallows, just something high. Why was it so high? I was watching an old cowboy movie this week and, and uh, this, this guy was uh, they hung this guy on a high tree, way up high, and, and, and one of the characters said, why you got to hang him so high? He said, you need that high a tree to hang a man. How high of a tree do you need to hang a man? Just a couple inches taller than he is. <laughs> That's about as high. Why do you hang it so high? So everybody can see. This is, a, this is a note. This is a picture. Hey, look at this. 
That's what it's done for. And so he had these gallows. They gave him a suggestion. They gave Haman a suggestion that if you're having so much trouble with Mordecai, hang him on some gallows, but build it 75 feet in the air so everybody in the whole city can see. When that joker died, everybody, let everybody see it. That's what they were saying. And guess what? Guess what? Verse 14. This idea pleased Haman. You get this idea, dun, dun, dun. Haman is going, ooh, I like that. Tell me more. It pleased him. It gave him a good mood. It made him feel good. It pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Chapter 7, verse 6. This is what Esther calls Galen when she busts him out in front of the king. She says, here's the one. He says, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Foe, enemy, wicked. Chapter 8, verse 3. It uses this phrase, the evil plan of Haman, the plot that he devised against the Jews. Chapter 9, verse 24, we have three references there. You with me? You turning with me? Some of y'all are. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews. Let me read that again. For Haman, dun, 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 the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews. He's called the enemy had cast poor, that is cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. To crush and destroy. And then the next verse, chapter 9, verse 25. When it came before the king gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews. He's one who had an evil plan. Not just some small idea you know, it's not like he was on his way to his office and, uh, you know, he, he bumped into a Jewish person in the hallway and spilled his coffee and got mad and like, dude ought to get out my way. And then, you know, kind of have a little like a bad day and then go in the office and finish his work and don't think another thing about it. That, no, that's not what Haman did. It's like the same thing happened. He went in his office, got on his computer, and he didn't come out of that office till he had this plan to kill every Jew that existed. Let's look at that, that, that scheme that he has. So we, we get this picture then of Haman, a, a correct picture, don't we? He's filled with fury. He sought fury. He sought to destroy all the Jews. After he made his plan, he sat down, had a drink, chilled out with the king like nothing was going on. It says he was filled with wrath. The idea of hanging uh, Mordecai on 75-foot gallows just, just gave him so much joy. <clears throat> he called a fool, an enemy, a wicked person. He's a, he has an evil plan. He plotted his plan against all the Jews. He's called the enemy of the Jews. He wants to destroy, he wants to crush and destroy all the Jews. So, <clears throat> there is our picture of Haman. Introduction to Haman is in Esther chapter 3. 
Now, with all that in mind, would you look again at verse 1 with me? Esther chapter 3. Keep it in mind, God is in control. And there's some systems that are set up that man operates under that God allows. I mean, he doesn't condone it, but he doesn't condemn it. He just lets it go as it is. And we wonder, what's God doing? Why does he allow this? To look at chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus, what? Who? Did what? He promoted Haman and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. God allowed Haman to be boss. You ever work for somebody <laughs> who wasn't very nice? Yeah? Amen? Mm-hmm. Okay. You ever work for somebody who didn't even like people? Yeah? Mm-hmm. You wonder, how come they got that promotion? They ain't even good. Now, I should change that. They're not good here. They got some skills, though, that somebody admired and promoted them for. There is a principle. There is something set. What we see here is that what I call a principle of diligence. Those who work hard will benefit from their hard work, even evil people, good and evil. In fact, some evil people work harder than the good people. And that's why they get things done the way they are getting things done. There's this principle of diligence, and it operates whether you run in a drug house or an accounting firm. That if you, dil you are diligent, you will see progress and success. It's the principle of diligence. You can be a drug lord, and if you're lazy and don't want to take care of your business, <laughs> your business ain't going to go well. But if you work real hard, you can make a lot of money. If you're diligent and do your job well, whether you are a drug lord or an accounting firm, your diligence will pay off. It's the principle of diligence. Now we think, God, I belong to you. How come you ain't blessed me? Maybe because you ain't diligent. Because you see the other person on the other side, he, say, he seemed to be doing all well. And he's diligent. At his, you know, Satan is a diligent being. <laughs> he works hard night and day doing his evil, plotting his scheme and working that scheme and doing his dirt. And he's diligent. There's a principle of diligence that, that God honors. <clears throat> and we see that in Haman. And Haman was diligent enough to do the things that were in the king's interest that the king said, hey, this is the guy I want. 
He's a go-getter. He gets things done. When I give him something to do, he does it. He honored the king. He did his job well in terms of the responsibilities. Now, his whole attitude and his motivation was all different and twisted. We'll talk later about that. But he was diligent in what he did, and God allowed him to be promoted, and we see that operating today. What I'm saying, don't get mad at it. <laughs> don't get mad at it. Also understand something about this, that we live in a system that God allows to operate where Satan has a certain domain and rule, and he allows things to progress, and he allows things to develop for his liking. He puts people in places where he wants them. He blesses them in certain ways or rewards them and allows things to happen. Now, some people have said because of that, well, I might as well serve Satan. Well, you can make that choice, but you better understand what the consequences are. Moses said this when he was, when he was coming through. He had a chance. He grew up on both sides of the street, if you remember. He grew up, he was born a, 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 a Hebrew slave, but he lived in the palace of the king because the, basically the queen had adopted him. But as he became of age, he realized, this ain't my true heritage. My true heritage is as an Israelite. My mother is a slave. I can choose to stay under the king or I can choose to be true to my heritage. And he says in the Bible, he chose to walk in the heritage that God had brought him in, including serving God, rather than enjoy the pleasures of riches for a season. And so that's the choice that we have to make. We recognize we live in an evil, wicked world, and sometimes evil and wicked is rewarded and promoted, and sometimes we are put down and squashed, but those who have faith in Christ are willing to endure that because they know what happens in the end. And they say, I'd rather identify myself and be on the right side than to be cool and have all the stuff right now and be on the wrong side. So there's a choice you have to make. Now today there's a theology that goes around that says you can have it both ways. You can have all the stuff now and serve God. In fact, if you serve God right, he'll give you all the stuff. I'm going to tell you that's just, it's a little empty-minded. You have to understand that's not how God is, is working. He blesses his people, certainly. But he doesn't guarantee that they'll be free from the wicked results of sin in this world. And so here we have two individuals. We have Haman, who's a wicked person, and we see that later on as it unfolds. But he's diligent, he's hardworking, he has some goals, and he gets promoted. And God allows that to happen. On the other hand, we have another person. We look at Mordecai. We wonder, what kind of person is, is he? We, we, we learn a little bit about his character, but I want to talk about what his job is. What does he do for a living. We get a little insight into that. Let's take a look at Mordecai. We see that um, 
First of all, it tells, and this should be enlightening to us. The first thing we see about Mordecai is his character, is his character. He's a man of character, a man of principle. We saw that in chapter 2 when he saw something and he saw evil plot against the king that he, he called it out. He was a man of character. He's a man of courage as well. We see that also in chapter 3 here. He said when, when everybody else was bowing down and paying homage to, to, to Haman, he refused to do it. And he gave a reason. It says they, they investigated it and they, they, they took that back to Haman and said, hey man, is this true? This dude ain't got to do this because he's a Jew. Now, Haman didn't say anything about it, but he didn't like that. He decided, okay, I ain't going to make him do it because he's a Jew, but what I'm going to do, I'm just going to get rid of him. I'm going to get rid of him and all his Jewish friends since they can't do this. But we learned something about his character. It doesn't talk about faith in this book. It doesn't even mention the name of God. But we see an example in Haman of his principled living. Let me give you an example of what this principle is. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 7. Jeremiah 29. God had told the prophets, or told the nation of Israel through the prophets that there was a coming a time because of their disobedience that they were going to be carried off to foreign lands. They were going to be in exile. And so Esther and Mordecai are living in those times, just like Daniel, 100 years before their time, was living in that time. Where the nation did not exist in its land, it was carried off to a former, former uh, 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 a foreign land in exile. And God says, when that happens, this is how you should act. Verse 4. I'm in Jeremiah 29, 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I could preach a whole sermon on that, especially speaking of Independence Day. But I want you to get the message that even though Mordecai was in a land far away, away from Jerusalem and the holy city and the temple that had been built for worship, that the Jews had set up for their worship, God had said to them, this is how you should show your trust in me. In a faraway foreign city, honor that city and the people and its culture and its principles as much as you can. And be a good worker. Don't be a protester. Do your job. Do it well. That was a message. I think Mordecai was showing his character, his courage, and his faith by living out his life the way he did. Let, let's talk about now Mordecai, what he did, who, what, what, what was his job. Um, 
In chapter 2, verse 19, it uses a phrase. I'm sorry. What's the use? Let's see. Yeah, it is chapter 2, verse 19. Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. That's the end of chapter 2, end of, end of verse 19 of chapter 2. Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. We heard that phrase before, right? Same chapter, verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Sitting at the king's gate. All right? Go to chapter 3, verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at, help me out. At the king's gate. At the king's gate. Who's at the king's gate? All the king's servants. Ah, Mordecai was a servant to the king because that's where they were, at the king's gate. Y'all get the idea. Imagine the palace, right? Can't anybody just come on into the palace? (laughs) You got to cross the gate. (laughs) Some of the lesser employees are out there sweeping up, raking, cutting grass, watering the grass, taking care of the flowers, whatever needs to be done outside the king's gate. That's what Mordecai was doing. Mordecai basically like a city worker. I'm not putting that down. In fact, that's a good job, isn't it? Amen, Aaron says. (laughs) Very good job. He was a servant, though. My point is, is that what was Haman? Haman had been promoted, right? All the city workers were bowing down to Haman. Haman was on top. Haman was the kind of people that the city workers say, man, how come they closed off the street today? Well, she, <laughs> the mayor got special guests coming in from the airport. Or maybe the governor is coming in town. Maybe the president coming in town, and he's coming down this street. Make sure it's clean. Make sure it's right. Get all the bums off of it, right? (laughs) Clean it up. That's the kind of worker Mordecai was, and Haman was one. He's riding in the list of limousines that's escorting this guy from the airport to the palace. You get the terminology. I'm trying to put it in today's living. Haman was important. Mordecai was just one of those guys. He was a servant at the king's gate with all the other servants at the king's gate. And they got to talking. How come he just like us? How come he ain't got to bow down to Haman? Verse 4, when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. (laughs) He's persistent. He's courageous as well because they come at him all the time. And then they say, well, hey, let's just ask Haman about this. They went straight to the top. Straight to the top. You think that they interacted with Haman every day? Probably not. When Haman came in to work, somebody got his coffee, somebody gave him his paper or the, the newest update, and somebody made sure the door was open for him, somebody pressed the, the, the button on the elevator. You, you get the idea. What I'm saying today, how we would treat that kind of person, that's how Haman was, that's how Mordecai was. Haman would not even know who Mordecai was until somebody told him, what? There's a dude down here in the mail room. <laughs> yeah, mopping the floors, who you're vacuuming your office, but don't think they need to bow down to you. 
Let me get to my point. I'm running out of time. How do we see Christ in Esther? There is a vivid picture of Christ here in this chapter in Esther. And I want you to get it. I know you read through there and you squeeze in and you study it and you say, <clears throat> and you wonder where I'm coming up with this, right? Did I make this up? Am I interjecting something? And let me tell you simply, the Word of God is about Christ. It's all about Him. And God just wants us to be able to see what's there. We don't have to make it up. But what we see is different examples and illustrations of it. When I describe Haman to you in that music, dun, 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 you get an idea of wicked, evil, conniving, devising, violent, destroyer, destructor, hater, murderer of who? God's people. Who does that describe? Haman is a type of Satan. In other words, he's a picture of what Satan is like. He is a human representation of what Satan looks like. He's in power. He's been promoted. People like him, or at least the people in power like him. He does what they like. And he's got in position of great power. And in this position of great power, he goes to the king and says, Hey, king, I need a word with you. Look, there's a little matter here. You don't need to be worried about it. But there's folks, man, they don't, they, they don't honor you. They got their own rules and their own laws. I'm, I think we should take care of them. I think we should get rid of them. And the king, in his foolishness and in his ignorance, said, yeah, go ahead and do it. In fact, I give you my signature. I give you my authority to do whatever you want to do. Now, Haman says to him, I'll put 10,000 talents into the treasury. Now, you, you, you might be a little confused when, when, when he says that. It looked like he's asking for money to do this. Now, what he's saying is, <clears throat> King, I'm going to make this to your benefit. Look in chapter 4, verse 7, when Mordecai is speaking to Esther, he breaks down to her what's happening. He says, Mordecai told him, this is, he's speaking to a, 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 a messenger to go back to Esther. Verse 7, Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So Haman was a, was a, he was a good businessman. He said, hey, King, I'm going to take care of this problem, but I'm going to take care of it in such a way that it pays you. Where he's going to get all that money? Well, guess what? All the Jews. He's going to take all of their possessions and all their money. He's going to kill them, take everything they own, and put it in the king's treasury. And, and, and the king said, hey, sounds good to me. The king is about ruling, he's about taking care of his kingdom, about taxes. That's what he's about. You notice that mention from the first to the end, in, in the middle of the chapter, when he had the celebration to bring in Esther, he, he gave everybody some time off and ease their taxes. At the end of the book, he does the same thing. He's feeling good. And so Haman speaks the king's language. He knows how to approach the king. That's what I say. He's gifted. He's diligent. He's a hard worker. He knows what he's doing. He's just wicked and evil. He is a picture for us of Satan himself. 
I was going to go through all the scripture, but Revelation talks about Satan. Let me just point some of these out. He, he shows great power. One of the words in Revelation for, for Satan is the great dragon. The great dragon. Not just a dragon or one of the dragons, a little bitty dragon. The great dragon. That's a picture for Satan himself. You'll find that in Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 3 and verse 7. <laughs> Here it says the great dragon was after the woman. And this woman in, in Revelation 12 is pregnant and about to have the child. That's a picture either of Mary, particularly, who's going to have Jesus as her child, or simply a picture of the nation of Israel from whom Jesus is coming from. Don't get caught up in, 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 in the picture there, but the, the picture is very simple. Satan is a destroyer of both God's people and the ultimate redeemer that comes from God's people. So Revelation 12, he's a destroyer. He's, the, he's this great dragon that wants to kill the, the child that comes from this woman. This child is Jesus Christ himself. Satan is a picture of the destroyer. He wants to kill the woman and his child and her child. The, the, the woman is a picture of God's people. In the Old Testament, that would have been the Jews. In the New Testament, it's simply all those of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 12, you can look at it in verse 11, and in verse 8 and verse 11, you see that this great destroyer is destroyed. What happens to Haman? The great destroyer himself is destroyed. He's a picture of Satan. But more than that, I said you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Mordecai is a picture or an example or a type of Jesus Christ. Now, Haman is a picture of Satan. I'm not saying he is Satan himself. I'm saying he is to remind us he's a, he's a shadow. He's a, he gives us an idea of what Satan is like. Mordecai is not Christ himself. He's not perfect in all of his illustrations, but he gives us some characteristics that point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. In what ways do we see that? <laughs> First of all, he shows power through submission and obedience. Mordecai has great power as he submits and obeys. Now, there's an exception. We see that he refuses to bow down because that's a picture of worship. He will not worship a human being, a man. But he shows complete Obedience. He shows his submission to the king in chapter 2 when, when he uh, rats out the, the, the guys that, that are uh, trying to plot against him. Uh, throughout his, his character, we see that he's willing to put his own self in danger so that he might deliver God's people. He's the main one there. He and Esther along are working to bring the deliverance of God's people. He's a protector of God's people, where Haman is the destroyer of God's people, the persecutor of God's people. He gains victory. Well, here, here's a picture of Christ himself. How does Christ gain victory for us? He gains victory through his death. Through his death. He gains victory. Now, Mordecai doesn't die in this story. 
and he doesn't gain victory through death. But this whole plot that God has is that he's going to bring about victory through the assault of the attacker, the assault of the destroyer God uses to turn on his own head. You get the picture? It's Satan who attacks Jesus to put him to death, to crucify him. And God uses that same attack to, to destroy Satan and his works. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 9, that if the powers of this world, the speaking of Satan and his forces, had known what God's plan was, they never would have crucified Jesus Christ. God's plan was to use their own wickedness and evil and destructive motives to bring about the salvation of his people. God does exactly that through the story in Esther, through Mordecai and Esther. He takes the wicked scheme of Haman to destroy all of his people, and he turns it to deliver his people. Why is God so interested in his people in the book of Esther? It's because through his people, he is bringing to mankind, all of the world, all who would trust in Jesus, he's bringing a savior, a deliverer. God is showing his great plan here in chapter 3. Jesus raises to great power and authority where in Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16, he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that title. It's one thing to be king. It's like being president of uh, our president, what is he, the 46th president, 45th president? 43? 45th, thank you, 45th. 45th president. And some rank him in different ways as a president. Most rank George Washington, our first president, as the greatest. But to be one of those 45 men is amazing. But to be top of the top is something else. Jesus is king of not just peasants. <laughs> He's king of kings. King of kings. He's saying the greatest kings of the greatest kingdoms on earth bow down to him. He's lord of lords. The greatest rulers and those in authority and power will one day each bow down to him. Jesus came from low, humble uh, setting to be raised to the greatest and the highest. Mordecai was a simple servant, no greater than anybody else. But we see by the end of the chapter, he's second in command to the king. He is a picture of the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he become second in command? Because God sets him there to protect, to provide, to love his people. Jesus is set there at the right hand of the throne of God to pray for, to protect, to provide, 
to love, to lead his people. When you get to chapter 10 in Esther and you see Mordecai in this great exalted position, all I can see is Jesus Christ as ruling over his people with truth and grace as opposed to Haman and wickedness who want to destroy and lead people astray. Jesus rules and the people rejoice. There is a great picture of God's plan unfolding in every part of his word, and we see that especially here in chapter 3 when we see two human pictures. One is wicked and evil and is in power. One is full of grace and truth. One is, is diligent and humble and has no power at all. One is going to go from great power to be completely destroyed. The other one is coming from humble settings to be completely lifted up. One destroys the other when the other attempted to destroy the one. Haman has all bitterness and wickedness, wants to destroy Mordecai, but it is Mordecai who destroys Haman. Now, you and I might have said a picture where Mordecai would say, okay, Haman, I know you want to kill me, but I'm cool with that, man. You could help reign with me. No, not in God's plan. Haman is destroyed. Mordecai rules apart from him, not with him, not aside. There's no grace given. To wicked Haman. God's judgment stands on him. You will see all through the story is that the people begin to love and flock to Mordecai. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great picture. What a great Savior Jesus is. Mordecai is simply a a human representation to point us to Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? Are you seeing how God is working even in your life to point you to the only one that delivers from sin? Do you see how God is using the greatest enemy of mankind and defeating that and giving his people victory even though they're under great threat? Do you recognize you're under great threat? This isn't just smooth life and live as you please, but Satan is trying to kill, he's trying to destroy, he's trying to annihilate you, trying to wipe you off the face of the earth. Th these things aren't happening by accident or by chance. God is ruling over. I was speaking to a woman yesterday who, who likes to go to uh, play bingo, she says. She, she plays it all the time, and, and she, she's, she's amazed that she wins Big sums of money. We see kind of this, and I didn't get to it today, but this idea of poor, uh, uh, where Haman is so wicked, what he says is, let me figure out when I want to kill all the Jews. Why don't y'all, why, why don't we just flip a coin and see? That's basically what they did. They cast lots. Now, the casting of lots itself is not wicked. Um, godly priests cast lots to, to, to discern the will of God in certain circumstances. But the difference with casting lots is who are you trusting in? 
Do you recognize that God is the one that controls everything and that when I leave things up to his control and walk according to his will and his purpose, that he works those things out and I can trust him? But those in the world look at it this way, hey, I'm going to put things to chance and, and you know, there's, there's somebody looking out for me, but that somebody ain't really the Lord. Because if they trusted in the Lord, they would walk faithfully in his way. That's what Mordecai does. He walks faithfully in obedience to God. He refuses to bow down or bend over to anything that's opposed to God, and he trusts God to deliver and to keep him. Yet he knows that God is controlling all circumstances. Where's your trust today? Are you trusting, first of all, in the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you walking in that trust daily? Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you've made it plain to us and that you would stir our hearts in thinking through your word as we go through this week and you stir our minds to walk uh, our hearts, to, to, to walk and be obedient to you as we trust in you. May we be stirred to see that we have a great deliverer in the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing, including Satan's wicked schemes, can thwart your plan to deliver your people. We thank you for that. We rejoice in that. We find great comfort and great hope in that. May that comfort lead us us to obedient faithfulness and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.